towards the end, I was an alcoholic. I was drinking every day. I wanted to just drown my sorrows and I was totally disconnected. I just didn't want to be there anymore. And one day I just woke up and I left. I didn't tell anyone. I just walked out and I never returned back to medical school. I didn't have a plan. I'm your host, Lauren Perry Carrera. On today's episode, I speak with Letha J. She quit medical school and followed her passions becoming a spiritual manifestation coach and Ayurvedic practitioner. Well, it's great to have you. I feel like I don't really know a whole lot about the various components of your profession, but why don't you start with kind of like how you got into this work? Like walk me through the various steps that got you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So I actually grew up in a very traditional Indian household. My parents were very strict in comparison to, I guess, the standard American family, you can say. And we were always kind of, it was kind of ingrained into us that we would become doctors. I have two siblings and both of them are currently doctors. Um, I'm not, but I did go to medical school actually, right? So I did my undergraduate, I did my graduate into medical school and I dropped out right towards the end of medical school. And um, that kind of set the tone for the rest of my life and the way that things were going to go, because I finally kind of woke up and realized that what my parents had wanted for me in a very traditional sense wasn't what I wanted for myself. And that's kind of what really kicked off my own individual spiritual journey. And so how, how far along the medical school route did you go? Did you actually apply? Did you go to school or kind of how far? Did yeah, you yeah. So I, I have, I uh, went to so I did my undergraduate, I did pre-medicine, psychology, and biology. I have degrees in those. And then I went to medical school for about a little bit over three years. In total, it should have been eight years in total. And I did about seven plus years. Wow. Yeah. That the medical school journey is so long. Like my friends who are pursuing being doctors is like it's a crazy process. But so when throughout that process did you kind of start to have this realization that this just isn't what I want to be doing? Um, it is a long process, right? And it's it it's long for a reason because they were kind of want to weed out the people that aren't in, in it for the right reasons or in it to really be passionate about it. And I wasn't, I had gone through it and I realized that what I had truly wanted to do was to help people. And I wasn't sure that I could help people the way that I wanted to, by going through this traditional route. So I had this huge disconnect and I was very unhappy. I think that that was the biggest sign for me that this was not working out for me. And towards the end, I mean, like I was an alcoholic. I was drinking every day. I was like, not really in it. I wanted to just drown my sorrows and I was totally disconnected. I was depressed. I just didn't want to be there anymore. And, um, one day I just woke up and I left. I didn't tell anyone. I just walked out and I never returned back to medical school. I didn't have like a plan. I actually, left. I was in um, Florida at the time and I, I got on a flight from Florida to, um, to Arizona. And I actually ended up on an organic farm there as part of a, I joined a program that was called the Woofers program, the World Organization of Organic Farmers. And I just got up and left one day and I ended up staying in Arizona for a bit of time and kind of having some time to just decompress of what had happened and you know like where it was freaking out a little bit because I was like what I've wanted to do this all my whole life and now I'm saying I don't want to do this does it make sense like what's next there's a lot of self-contemplation um lots of tears I was pretty upset I knew that my parents would be disappointed you know and really upset with what I was kind of doing and um I was in a lot of emotional turmoil I can say for sure yeah that's a huge decision to make especially (laughs) on your own, changing your mind and having the pressure of your parents and your family. And then just kind of being like, okay, I'm just going to get out of here and get out of Dodge. Um, so you just kind of hop on a plane, you go and you work with, it was like at a farm, right? So what, what led you there? Like what, you know, what made you feel like, okay, I'm going to pursue medical, this medical career. And then, you know, the next thing I'm going to do, I'm going to go work towards, you know, I'm going to work on a farm. Honestly, what it was, was I didn't know what I wanted to do next, but I also didn't have a place to stay. (laughs) So I didn't immediately tell my parents that I dropped out of medical school. So I didn't really want to go back to them. I didn't have another spot to go. And I heard about this program with the world organization of organic farmers in which basically you go work on the farm and they give you a place to stay and they feed you. So I was like, perfect. I can work on a farm. And it actually gave me a lot of insight, you know, when it's like physical labor, right. And you're sweating in the hot Arizona sun and you're just like learning about the things around you. I had never really been on a farm. I grew up in New York, you know, like really like a big city girl. And then to take me and put me in a place that was like totally new, it was hot. It was uncomfortable. (laughs) There's people I didn't know. It was exactly what I needed is exactly what I needed because the people that I ended up being around were amazing, pure hearted, 
incredibly nurturing, wonderful people. And I kind of needed that space of being in the physical rather than being stuck in the mental, right? I was very much stuck in my own um, like analysis, paralysis, fear of what the future holds, all of that stuff. And I needed to step out of that for a moment. And Arizona is beautiful at night. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's beautiful all the time, but the, the way that the stars shine out there is just like, un, it's like unreal. It's, it's incredible. It's so good. It's so good. I was out in um, Sedona with some friends last year and it was just gorgeous. Like it's just something yeah. about you, like the sort of desert nature and everything. It's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow. So you, so you kind of, you go to this farm, you're a big city girl. Did, did you have any experience like farming or are you like, okay, what the hell am I doing? Like teach me what I'm doing. <laughs> no. So I was raised by my grandmother and we always had like a garden, you know, like a little plot um, in which we'd grow tomatoes and stuff like that. So, so yeah, a little bit, but I mean like on a field, no, like our plot at home, our little veggie garden at home was maybe like eight by eight, you know, and at this farm, it's acres and acres. So we're growing like beets and lettuce. And, um, and that was actually the first time I ever had encountered sprouts. You know, like it was like a new thing back then, right. That people would eat sprouts and it was, um, like better energy for your body and healthier options, things like that. I had never heard of it. And these people were growing sunflower sprouts. So I learned the process of like growing that and that, I mean, it also really shifted my mindset from a very I came from a very Western medicine mentality, right? Into this farm that they were just kind of like, this is how we do things. We eat sprouts and we grow natural foods and it was an organic farm. So that, you know, they were teaching me about like the proper ways to like fertilize stuff. And man, that was a huge education in itself. And it was so, so valuable for me. And um, I really hold that, hold that time very, very dear to me. And from there, I uh, kind of realized like, okay, I'm, want to see what the next step is. And I moved back to New York. I had talked to my parents at this point and we made peace to some extent. They weren't upset. And I think that that was the biggest shock for me. They weren't upset. They weren't even really disappointed. They were just kind of like, all right, so now what, (laughs) you know, now what? Yeah. And I didn't have an answer, but, um, you know, the gracious people that my parents are, they, they let me come and crash there and try to figure some stuff out. So, yeah. Wow. And with that conversation with your parents, it sounds like you were maybe expecting them to be a little bit more upset and then they weren't. I mean, do you almost feel like was some of the pressure you had put on yourself like a little bit more self-inflicted, you know, like were you expecting more external pressure and then ultimately they actually were a lot more supportive than you thought? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think I made it out to be much bigger in my head than it actually was. Right. So I had made it seem like if I don't, if I don't complete their dreams and desires for me, they'd be crushed and their world would implode. And meanwhile, when I had these like heart wrenching conversations with my parents, it was only really heart wrenching on my side. They were like, okay, so what do you want to do? Like figure yourself out, you know? And they're very supportive people and they're very loving people. And um, I think that the real real reason that they were really pushing me and my siblings towards medicine is because they saw it as a, um, you know, a respectable, stable field. And I get that, you know, as immigrants coming to America, they kind of like started with nothing in America, right? So they wanted us to be able to have a certain level lifestyle, a certain, you know, socioeconomic level and all that. So, yeah, no, it's funny. I feel like there's sort of some parallels in a way with kind of what I'm going through where I... I'm going through the decision-making process of leaving corporate America, leaving finance and talking to my parents about that. I was like surprised by how supportive, especially my mom was. Cause like, I kind of always thought that she was the one that like wanted me to do this successful corporate career. And she definitely, you know, wants to see me be successful, but she ultimately just wants to see me be happy. And I feel like that's the thing with parents, right? It's like, at the end of the mm-hmm. day, they're just like, dude, just do what makes you happy. Like if that's yeah. farming, then do that. If it's whatever, like, you know, just be happy about it. Don't do anything that you're you know miserable with. Um, so that's awesome that like, it, you know, it kind of worked out with them. Um, I was going to say, I think a lot of times as children, we feel like um, our parents aren't people. <laughs> I don't know if that really makes sense, but to me, I just, I always kind of thought of them as parents, you know, not people like they don't have pain or they don't have feelings or they only think this one way kind of thing. It's almost as if we think of them as different than us, but in truth, they're people too, when they have their own emotions and they've gone through their own struggles. And, you know, for all we know that they've had these kind of struggles and contemplations of, Hey, should I pursue money or should I pursue happiness? Or should I pursue, you know, my time or should I pursue a, a corporate career or should, you know, like they've had experiences and it's, it's, it's interesting how, um, that whole kind of situation made me realize how relatable I was to my parents. Right. And they, they were human. (laughs) That was the biggest thing that they're human. They're people too. 
No, we totally just kind of like idolize our parents. And then I think like the biggest growing up adulting moment is when you just look and you're like, oh, they're just people. They have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> they're just making it up along the way. And then it's like kind of terrifying because you're like, oh my God, no one knows. <laughs> like, shit, I thought someone had the yeah. answers. Um, but but it, yeah, it's I mean, it's good. And it's good in the sense that they're a lot more uh, forgiving, I guess, than maybe you expect as a kid. Um, but how did your, maybe your peers take it? Did any of like your friends from school or siblings or anything like that, were they supportive as well? Um, I wouldn't say supportive, but I would say not surprised <laughs> if that makes sense. Right. Like when I left, they were just like, oh, okay, cool. So, so now what's next? And I'm still good friends with one of my friends from medical school. She's like one of my best friends. And I remember talking to her years later saying like, you know, what was that like for you? And she was like, I kind of always felt like you were just going to become, you know, leave and be an artist. And I was like, what, why? And she said, once when I first met you, we had a conversation and I said, she was asking me like, Hey, what did I want to do in my future? And I said, own an art gallery. (laughs) She was like, I was asking you what kind of doctor you wanted to be. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. I don't remember that conversation, but she distinctly did. And she was just kind of like, of course, you're going to like go and do what you want. You know, you're the creative type. And I was like, wow, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Is there any part of like the medicine track that you were worried you would miss? Like, was there anything that you were like, oh, this does feel authentic, like something that I feel like I'm gonna have to give up if I, you know, stop pursuing being a doctor? Yeah, immediately when I had left, I missed the patients. That was the biggest thing. Man, I loved working with patients and I still do. Right now I work with a lot of different clients and that's my favorite part of my day, getting to connect with people and like work with them and things like that. But I remember when I when I had first left, I was just like, man, I wonder how these people are doing, you know, like, I wonder, I wonder who's going to take care of them kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah. you go to this farm in Arizona mm-hmm. and then you come back to New York, you kind of crash with your parents. Where do you go next? Oh, oh man. Okay. So I did a bunch of other things between then and now I kind of give you the brief synopsis of it. Um, I went to fashion school. I went to FIT. I oh. started two fashion companies in between that time. And I then got a yoga certification to become a yoga teacher. I started teaching meditation. I got my holistic health coaching degree during that time as well. I started a career in tech for a little bit. And then I started my company, my coaching company at that time too. So it was like within maybe a year period that I had just was like, I have to do something, figure it out. And I was like, I was throwing spaghetti against the wall, just taking every opportunity that would come to me. And some of those things included like even you know, I was, I worked as a journalist for a little while to try to pay the bills. And I, you know, did photography and I just did everything just trying to, you know, make ends meet living in New York city, any opportunity that came my way. I was like, I'm taking this. I'm not going to sit back. I guess like I had, I felt like a burning desire to make it and to figure out what it was that was going to click for me. So I just had to go for it. About what age were you when this was all kind of going down? Um, man, I was probably 25, 24, 25. I want to say. That's so relatable. So I'm, I'm 25 and I really currently feel like I am throwing spaghetti at a wall. Um, so that is really reassuring to hear. I feel like it's my, some of my friends who are a bit older are like, yeah, like 25 is really the year, the age where people start to like figure themselves out. Um, so maybe it's just in the water when you're 25, but that's just really, that's reassuring to hear that you had a similar experience where you tried a bunch of things. Cause I feel like when you're in high school, like you're encouraged to like, think about a lot of different like paths and stuff, but it's like, once you get to college and you start to major in something and you start to, especially when you graduate, it's like, okay, I am now a finance person or whatever, insert the blank. And it's like, well, I can't, when I'm, you know, I'm 25, I'm not that old. Why can't I continue to <laughs> throw spaghetti at the wall and, yeah. and try things? Um, so that's awesome. Was there anything of like all the various things that you tried that you thought like, oh, this might be it. Or like you kept trying, you're like, nope, nope, nope. And then kind of eventually got to what you are doing now. A little bit of both, but you know what? I look back upon all of my different experiences and what really stands out to me is that everything taught me something, right? So working as a photographer, um, you know, taught me like different angles and lighting and things like that. I was like, that's great. Working as a journalist taught me like different skills of writing and interacting with people and interviewing people. And I was like, that's amazing. We, you know, working as a doctor, I learned certain skills, like all of these different things taught me little skills that now absolutely help me. And I use on my daily basis, like on a, on an everyday basis. So it's, it's really amazing. It's amazing how everything kind of, I took something away from everything. So it was like, I think a lot of people look back at their lives or look back at maybe my life in general in a judgmental way and say like, well, you did all this stuff. Wasn't it wasted time? And I would never say that it was wasted time. It was never time wasted because everything taught me something. I took a lesson from everything. 
That's great. I mean, that's such a great opportunity. It's so easy to be like, I'm lost and I'm wasting time, but it's like, I actually think that that's where you're finding yourself. It's like, that's a lot harder work Mm -hmm. to do all of that and to like put the effort into finding what makes you happy versus just like kind of being like, yeah, whatever, I'm I'm this and I'm just going to go along with it. Um, So I have a lot of respect for that. I think that's really cool. Um, So you tried all these different things. Mm -hmm. You were wearing a lot of different hats. So then what got, what really got you to what you're doing today? So, well, I I had started my company briefly after I had left medical school and then left um, the farm as well. And from there, I just kind of growed my client list and tried different things and did different things. So I originally started as a health coach, mainly specializing in nutrition, which was very interesting to me, but I still felt like something was missing. Um, And then years later, I uh, met my husband, we got married and I, he was very encouraging to me to pursue different things as well. So he was very encouraging to me to pursue a degree that I really wanted to get in Ayurveda. So it was an Ayurvedic, uh, Ayurvedic science and integrative medicine. I ended up getting my master's degree in it. And during this like three-year period of, of earning this master's degree, um, I also got pregnant twice and had two kids. So it was a very, very intense period of my life. And um, it taught me so much. And then I was really able to then integrate the knowledge that I was learning and the knowledge that I have um, into my coaching. So it was like a beautiful experience of growth. And then my uh, coaching kind of grew, you know, my clientele's grew. And then I started um, more on social media. I was never very much on social media until probably the past two years, two or three years, I really started hitting it hard. And then this year I joined TikTok and I guess that's the place to be. So my, um, I've had a lot of different blessings come my way, but in TikTok, you know, I've been on it now for about eight months and I have over 350,000 followers, which is huge. I just got verified on the account. Um, It's been amazing. It's been incredible. I think I'm growing like an amazing community there and my business is blossoming and I get to serve so many different people. It's it's incredible. It's it's a huge blessing. Yeah, no, TikTok is amazing. I can't speak highly enough of it. People shit on it for silly reasons. And I'm like, no, like that's where I found a lot of my awesome, most interesting guests like yourself. Um, I wanted to go back to what you got your master's in. Is it, I'm going to say this right, Ayurveda? Is that Ayurveda? Ayurveda. Can you tell me about what that is? Yeah, sure. So Ayurveda is the science of life. It's an ancient Indian way of life in, in, you know, in simple terms, but it's a study of, of life basically. And it teaches ways of integrating kind of all the stuff that I was interested in. So yes, medicine and healing, but also meditation, yoga, you know, lifestyle, time, timings, different doshas, like so much of life. And that's kind of how I practice, you know, my coaching practice. Now I don't necessarily say like, it's only food, right. Or this is just your, your, your mindset kind of issue, or you need to do more yoga. It's like, I firmly am a believer that it's a, we're a whole person and to make any kind of changes to bring balance to yourself. It has to be like a whole approach, like a total and complete approach. You can't succeed when there's one area of your life. That's like rotten, you know, that ends up rotting the whole fruit. You have to really like, like nurture the roots of your plant. So then you can observe and, and enjoy the fruit. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. And so in your studies, what, what does that entail? Is it a lot of, are you studying more of like, it's like medicine and science or is it like kind of more philosophy or it's just all of it? All of it. And that was like cool. what had really drawn me to it. There was a lot of, um, you know, medicine in there. We learned a lot of physiology, a lot of how things work, a lot of different herbal supplements and how that can work. And then um, it's integrative medicine, right? So we learned about the prescription stuff, the pharmacology of it, and then also the herbal supplements and then how that can really integrate and how, you know, we can work with different clients and things like that. There's also a big aspect of it. The school that I went to is, is very based in meditation, right? They believe in transcendental meditation. I went to uh, Maharishi University in Iowa and it's called Maharishi International University. They changed the name a couple of times. I'm trying to remember what it is now, but it's Maharishi International University. And um, there it's based on transcendental meditation. So everybody that goes there is the meditator. And it's a beautiful experience to be in a place that has like hundreds of people that meditate and it's um, a beautiful energy. And, and I learned so much while being there. I'm, uh, I'm really bad at like, and meditation is something that I know that I need to bring into my life. I've been told by friends, therapists, psychiatrists. I don't know why I have such a blockage with it. I'm like, I'm a very high energy person. My mind is always racing. Do you have any advice for people like myself who are struggling to kind of get into the meditation? Yeah. 
so much, so many, so much advice. So I'm just like that too. I'm also neurodivergent. I have ADHD. I'm also Asperger's. So it's been a big adjustment for me to try to work in meditation. And I found a lot of things that work for me. So I love to teach people about it because I'm like, Hey, if it worked for me, it might work for you. So the thing about meditation is that it can look different for everybody, right? Not like the way that I meditate might not work for you. And the way that you meditate might not work for Susie or Jill or Priya or whatever the case is, right? So it's really important to just know that it's different and that's okay. That's like step one. Um, The second thing to really remember is like, we don't meditate to get good at meditation. We're meditating to get good at life, right? This is like the practice place, practice field, we'll say, for when we go out into life and how we're going to behave and respond to things. Meditation teaches us to respond rather than to react. And that can change your life like dramatically. Um, If you're new to meditation, I would highly recommend that you start uh, meditating in the mornings. I think that that's probably the easiest approach. Um, Also, when you meditate in the morning, it kind of sets the tone for your day and you get kind of a little bit more addicted to it. You kind of see the pleasure that comes out of it and the effects sooner. So you want to do it more. So I always encourage people to start meditating in the morning. So like when you wake up, you get fresh, do whatever you're going to do, but before you drink or eat anything, you sit down on a chair or on the floor, not back in your bed, not on a comfy couch, uh, cause you're going to fall asleep and you just focus, you close your eyes, you quiet your mind and you focus on either your breath or on a mantra for start with two minutes. If you really have a hard time sitting down, start with two minutes and then slowly, you know, when, when you have a good handle on that, increase it to five, increase it to seven, increase it to 10, you know, and work your way up. I think ideally, especially for people in the Western world or modernized world, we'll say um, meditating twice a day, 20 minutes each time is amazing. And it's incredibly powerful. You get kind of like the optimal results without the hours of meditation that, you know, there's some practices that do hours of meditation, but I think it's a good balance of both being able to do it for two times, 20 minutes a day, once in the morning, and once in the evening. Okay. That's, I, I hear that. I'm like, okay, I got, I got 20 minutes a day. Like I can do that. I think it's, it's so hard, especially like this day and age where our minds are just constantly racing and we have social media and we're just like addicted to stimulation. And so it's like, such a, especially I feel like my generation to like sit down and be quiet and calm and like not have thoughts and not let them race through your mind. Um, but I do know, I, like, I have no doubts of the benefits of it. Like it's so ubiquitously determined to be an incredible like healing source. You know, one of the things that actually drew, drew, like drew me to transcendental meditation was because they had such a rich like structure behind them. It's like a whole organization, right? And in transcendental meditation, they've also have a lot of scientific studies that have been done. So, you know, me being a little bit more science-minded, I was kind of very intrigued by that, that they could kind of blend the two worlds that I was so interested in. And they have lots of studies about how meditation can help uh, decrease stress, decrease, eventually decrease blood pressure, help improve health. And that's what kind of like really drew me in and got me very curious about it. But there's so many benefits to it and you don't have to jump in and try to do 20 minutes. I mean, I think that for, like you were saying, I completely agree. We're used to the TikTok world of 15 seconds, one minute, three minute kind of thing, you know, boom, boom, boom. And um, to sit, to say like 20 minutes might sound very intimidating or overwhelming. So that's why I'm like, listen, start with two, start with two. When that feels good, get to five, you know, when that feels good like increase it like that and be gentle with yourself. So just keep it consistent. The other thing I will say is I think it's really important to schedule it into your day. And when you do schedule it into your day, you're like, oh, I can't do anything else right now. This is my time for meditation. You know, it's there, right? So it's like almost like a meeting you have to go to. You're not going to miss the meeting. Well, why would you miss this meeting with yourself? You're the most important person you're going to talk to today. (laughs) You know, and also on a spiritual note too, like meditation is so powerful. I think that a lot of spiritual people will be very focused on prayer. Prayer is amazing. I highly encourage people to pray if that's what they're drawn to. But the thing is, there has to be that balance. So prayer is when we're like speaking to God or the universe or whatever source energy. Meditation is when we're listening, right? So a lot of times when we're going through these turbulent times in our life, we might pray or say like, I just need help. I just need God guidance, like where's my guidance? We're praying, 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 asking, 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 but not sitting in silence to listen to the answer that's coming our way. Wow. That's a very profound point. That's very true. Because like, if you don't clear your head, how are you actually going to find those answers that you're seeking from whatever it is you're asking for? Uh, So what else did you learn? What else is part of this practice? 
What else did you learn in your master's? Oh, oh my gosh, tons of stuff. So like I was saying, it, it integrated nutrition, healing, meditation, uh, herbs, herbal supplements, routine of your day, uh, along with ancient Vedic texts and different uh, prayers and things like that into it as well. So it was just, I would say like chanting and, and more like uh, proverbs, not prayers essentially, but it was so integrative and I learned so much through it. I, it was a big shifting and turning point in my life. And like I was sharing with you too, I had two children in three years, right? Uh, basically I got pregnant right when I had joined the program, had a child and then had another child almost in, in quick succession. They're only 20 months apart. So as I was graduating, I didn't, I birthed my son. I think it was like a few days after I graduated. So technically he was, you know, but I went to graduation across the street with like a nine month, huge belly. And, um, it was a profound process. And I don't think that I would have been able to do that because any parent out there that has one child or two child or young children knows how hectic that can be in your life. Right. And this was the time when I was running my business. I had a, a young child and I was just going to school as well. So it was a lot going on here. I was able to manage it because of my meditation practice. And I stand firm on that. Like there was no other way that I could have done this. The person that I used to be as a non-meditator could not have dealt with that. Zero percent oh. chance. And in what ways, like when you were, you know, you're getting your master's and much more like holistic approach. And you'd also spent several years in sort of our Western, uh, you know, medicine studying that. Um, what, what do you think are the main differences? And in what ways do you think that strict classic Western medicine like misses, has, has gaps or misses the bar? I think a lot of times people like to think of um, any medicine that's not like Western medicine as alternative medicine. I think that that's, uh, does both a disservice. I really believe that like Ayurveda and holistic medicines can be complementary. So I, I prefer to just say like they're complementary medicines, right? Because I think that there's a place for both and like an integrative approach. And that's what I've been studying and learning. And that's how I live my life and with my children and with like, you know, my friends and family, anybody that asks for advice and makes sense. I'm always saying like, it's integrative. There is a place that you can follow Western medicine. There's a need for it. And sometimes if you're having surgery or tests or, you know, things like that, you need that, that big, rich science basis. And there's also an aspect of, hey, how can I do yoga or modify my stress levels or change, you know, or is there some kind of turmeric supplement that I could take that would assist me in my healing as well, right? So I think that when there is a separation, we're all done a disservice. And when there is more of an open-minded integration, there's a lot more healing that can happen. And it's true healing, right? It's not just symptom management. It's actually healing at the root. And that's what the difference was when I, what I noticed really from my Western medicine studies to my Ayurvedic and Eastern medicine studies was the, was the, the details of healing. I felt like a lot of times in Western medicine, it was a lot of symptoms management and good symptoms management, but it was symptom management. It wasn't getting, it was kind of, it's kind of like you sit on attack and you're like, oh, I got a pain. I got a pain in my butt kind of thing. Literally, right. It was attacking your butt. It's like, okay, well then take this aspirin right? And that's Western medicine's approach. In Ayurveda and Eastern medicine, it's like, okay, we'll take the tack out of your butt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, that's just a funny way to kind of understand the two. But a lot of times that's what ends up happening. That it's not even that, you know, in Western medicine, a lot, the way that it's, it's set up, and it's not like a saying anything, you know, dogging doctors, uh, MDs or GOs or anything like that. I have lots of friends that are in that field and I love them deeply. And I know that they work within the parameters and the structure that is currently built there. But when you have to spend, you know, X amount of time with the patient, and then you have to make sure that you're billing X, Y, and Z for it, you only have so little time with the patient. And it's very difficult for a doctor to be able to get a rich history of their past and their diet and, you know, all of that stuff, which, you know, can potentially miss out on what the patient is actually dealing with, or maybe some adjustments that could be made that could then help the patient. That's why I really, I'm, I'm a very um, big believer in there being a complementary approach of all things together. No, I mean, and it just feels like logical best practice to like, why, why not use all of the tools at your disposal? Uh, you know, like, I think it's a lot of people are, are a little closed off to more alternative or Eastern medicine styles. And like, I grew up in the Bay Area. My parents were big hippies. And so I grew up like going to acupuncturists and, you know, herbal medicine doctors and also my general pediatric doctors. Mm -hmm. But it's like my parents' approach, I feel like was always kind of like, well, why would you not use all of the tools at your disposal? You know, like, oh, you sprained your ankle. Maybe mm -hmm. the acupuncturist can help 
get inflammation down faster than just taking Advil. Um, but I will say, I do feel like we are moving towards, maybe I'm just in this big, big more like liberal cities, but it seems like we're moving a little bit more towards a general acceptance of kind of both both ways and more people are kind of really curious about like, can meditation help heal my psychiatric illnesses can, you know, in the same way that taking pills could. So I think it's interesting seeing that mm-hmm. evolution um, and seeing the openness begin and more people develop an openness to it. I think there's a bigger curiosity happening now. And I've noticed that with a lot of different people, a lot of people are just kind of, I think also after the uh, past like 18 months, two years or whatever, with the different changes in our dynamics of where we can go, what we can do and all of that stuff, people have kind of had a little bit more to time to think about what they want in their life and maybe do a little bit more research or talk to people a little bit more and try to figure out what they really want for themselves. And it's opened up this whole thing because I get so many clients now that are people that grew up in, you know, very strict religious upbringings that are like, hey, I just am curious and I just want to know a little bit more about this. And I don't want to disregard my religion or my upbringing, but I know that there's something else here. And I'm like, great, because I will never dog anyone's religion. You know, what you believe is what you believe. And I'm very respectful of that. I believe that everybody has the right to have their own beliefs. And if you want to learn something more, I'm happy to teach you, you know. And it doesn't have to be that you choose. It doesn't have to be that you're either Christian or spiritualist. You can love Jesus and still learn about spirituality and essential oils and crystals and whatever the case is. I I don't, again, I don't think that there's that space that you have to be either or. I think it's a much more integrative approach in which you can be both and you can learn about both. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like there's room for both and also like whatever works, right? Like I think it's it's like a being open-minded to people's different beliefs and different practices and things that they rely on to heal and feel better. As long as it's helping you heal, like by all means, keep doing that. Keep using any sort of spiritual guide or, you know, whatever it is that you need to feel better. So tell me a little bit more about your, your business. Like what does your coaching entail? Yeah, sure. So now I mainly work as a spiritual manifestation coach. I teach people how to manifest how to really bring different things into their lives in a practical manner through belief, thought, action. And I think the action part is really the most important part, but we create goals. And then we basically, I teach people how to go for them. I mean, that's the very simple, simplified version of it. But if if you know anything about manifesting, it's all about really having the thought in your mind and then doing certain things to really activate that thought and create it into a reality and bring it into fruition. And that's what I teach people to do. And it's like such a huge blessing because this is what I love to do, right? So getting to, to see my clients actually, uh, you know, reaching their major goals that they've had for so long, you know, I, I will share some of them with you. I have clients that have wanted to get their acting card and, you know, we've set goals for that and created manifestations around that. People that have wanted to grow their social media accounts, we've set goals and, you know, manif- like taught them about manifesting for that. Um, people that wanted to get married or have children or, you know, things like that. I, I teach people about um, attracting an ideal mate all the time. That's like one of the biggest things that clients come to me for, because that's how I met my husband. And we've been married now for almost seven years and we have a beautiful marriage and our, our love story actually went viral on TikTok. It's had over really? I think 18 million yeah 18 million views <laughs> oh my god can and you tell me just a little class. bit about it sure yeah absolutely so met my my husband uh randomly so I had just moved down to Florida on a whim of course but um I went down to Florida and I was very overwhelmed with my whole situation everything that was going on I said okay I'm gonna take a day off from dealing with anything and go to the art gallery it was on a Wednesday I remember because it was like a random day of the week but I was like whatever I just need a break I was overwhelmed and being a manifestation coach I understand that how you feel dictates what you're creating in your life and overwhelm is not the feeling that I want to create from so I went to the art gallery and I was in a great mood I love art I'm a you know natural born artist and I saw my husband in the parking lot and as soon as I saw him across the parking lot I was just like it was like bing <laughs> it was the only way that I could describe it like it was oh like God. almost like a sound a vision something and I was just like oh my gosh and I just got like very cheery and I was like this is he's so cute got little butterflies in my stomach Aww. um And as we're walking towards the door, he opened the door for me. And I was like, thank you. That was very polite of you. I walked in first. And I originally thought that the tickets were $10 to get in, but they had like a student discount, which was $5. So I was like, great. And I went to the lady that was selling the tickets. And I said, hey, um, can I get two tickets? One for me and one for my friend behind me. And she was like, oh, that's so nice. You're buying your friend a ticket. And I said, yeah, it's it's cool. He's going to buy me dinner later. And she just kind of looked at me. And then he kind of looked at me. Oh, shit. I mean, it was like... (laughs) 
this is like someone that was just walking you know through the parking lot held the door for me and he's like uh, okay whatever so he walked away from the desk and I was like hey I was just kidding man I was just trying to do something you know like a random acts of kindness don't worry about it and he he takes a stick and he's like look I don't know about buying you dinner sometime but I'd love to make you dinner sometime because I'm a professional chef and oh, I was like what <laughs> you picked a good one too <laughs> yeah so we I mean like we've been together since like we we spent the whole day together walking through the gallery just having an amazing time and learning more about each other and it turns out that we have so much in common we're actually both from New York but we had met in Florida um where he was working at the time he only had Wednesdays off and like so he was like I'm gonna go to the art gallery on Wednesday and I was like okay cool he loves art he's like very philosophical and such a caring human being um it it was like the best five dollars I've ever spent on like that one. <laughs> a lifetime later you're like yeah I do it again yeah yeah he's and he's an incredible father a very loving person um and a romantic he buys me flowers every week since we've met since that day we met every oh. single week of, yeah <laughs> that's that's beautiful I, I love him <laughs> he's a wonderful guy yeah that is an incredible like meet cute I love I love that story um that's adorable what do you like so what do you attribute in terms of like manifestation of energy what do you how do you explain that whole like coincidental situation so there are no coincidences everything happens for a reason and I'm a firm believer that I really did create that that moment in our lives because I was finally ready for it and I think that when people think about manifesting, they think like, oh, I can just kind of sit in my basement and manifest, 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 and then things will come to me. Doesn't quite work like that, right? If I had been sitting at my house being like, I'm going to meet this wonderful man, da, 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 but sitting at my house, would I have ever met him? No. A big part of manifesting is to be in joy, right? And me, for me, being in joy was being around art. So when I was in my place of joy, you radiate joy. You put it out there. It's like a signal. Yeah. And um, he was like, yeah, it is infectious. And he was very like attracted to the signal. And um, prior to this, I had for months, I was like, I'm finally ready to really settle down with someone I had kind of, you know, been on this journey, I had met people along the way, but nothing really kind of stuck. And I was like, I really want this. I'm, I'm someone that really enjoys being in a relationship. And I knew that I eventually I wanted to have a family and, you know, create like something maybe a little bit more traditional with kids and stuff like that. And um, I knew that that was the time for me to do this. So I made a list. <laughs> I wrote at the top of the list, my ideal partner. And I made a list of characteristics that I wanted my ideal partner. And some of those things on the list, I, I probably can't remember all of them at this point. I have a picture of it somewhere, but I, I don't know. Um, was like kind, funny, faithful, uh, must love kids, um, must know how to cook and taller than six feet I really like tall guys right yes, I feel and, you. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so my husband who's you know now an amazing a faithful wonderful funny all these characteristics that I absolutely wanted in him and is a professional chef so it's just like literally everything that I had wanted on that list and he's six four you know six came four through. let's go <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he's he's just a, a really incredible person so I I really you know and that's a, a, also the thing about manifesting because the first thing about manifesting is getting clear on what you want mm -hmm. and when you are clear on what it is that you want you're able to see it in existence of your current reality a lot of things exist here that we're just not focused on you know, and once we attune ourselves to become more focused on it, we're able to point it out and see that it's there, it's present for us. And then we, of course, have to be in action and go get it. So with manifesting, I feel like a lot of people, like, it's also kind of like a hot topic these days, it feels like, at least on social media, you know, like mm -hmm. manifesting this. And like, there's this little bit of like, this notion that you're gonna like buy crystals and put them on your forehead and just like manifest, right? But what does it really mean? Like, what is manifest? Like what's actually happening when you're manifesting? Is it like, you know, is the power of it, the goal setting? And so it's kind of like setting, uh, you're aligning your actions with your goals or is there something also a little bit spiritual with it too where it's putting a certain energy out there and there's a little bit of like the universe or some sort of spirit, something is, is helping that happen. All of that, all of that. And cool. let me say, as much as I love crystals, like I have, I have, I have like probably millions of crystals. You don't need crystals to manifest crystals and the energy of crystals that are nice and wonderful. You can interact with them, but you do not need them to manifest. The only things that I would recommend that you have to manifest yourself, obviously, and maybe a pen and a piece of paper, like you don't need, you don't need much else outside of you because honestly, the truth 
like juice of creation, the true nature of creation, the power of creation is within you and it's within you and your focus. So when we are distinctly focused on what it is that we would like to see in our lives, we're able to call it into our lives. I think it's become more popular now because a lot more people are becoming familiar with it mm-hmm. and they're seeing that this stuff works. You know, they're seeing that there are people that are living their dream lives that are being able to change things that are being able to change relationships with people around them, you know, being able to improve things, get jobs that they've always wanted, earn certain incomes, fall in love. Like these are things that people have dreamed for, always wanted, had desires for. And now there's more like a focused way to actually do it, which is very attractive. You know, why not? Why not try it? And like, so does it, but does it have a spiritual element to it? Like how, and does it differ from just kind of like, mm-hmm. if your therapist was like, you know, make some goals for yourself, you know, like what's the difference between just kind of like goal setting and actually manifesting? Okay. So yeah, I see where you're going. So manifesting is very spiritual. I learned manifesting um, as a very young age, as a child from my grandmother, who's a very spiritually connected woman. And she basically taught, it's a very like emotionally involved thought process, which I think a lot of times people link to prayer, right? So when you're in a space of praying, you're very much emotionally putting your emotions into it and giving thanks or, you know, asking for something or whatever the case is. In the space of manifesting, it's very similar, not the same but it's very similar in the space of emotions. Emotions are the jet fuel of manifesting. And the top three emotions of that is love, gratitude, and joy. And with those emotions, you're able to manifest with velocity. Okay. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so what else kind of is entailed in your, in your practice? Or is that, is that sort of the meat of it? I guess like how far does your work go in terms of holistic health? That's a good question. I always customize any kind of coaching that I do to what the client needs. So if I see a client that is struggling in maybe in a diet aspect, but they've come to me for like more of a mindset kind of thing, I always integrate everything in there, but you have to meet the client where they are, right? So it's different for everybody. And I take a very holistic, loving approach to it because I know that just because I can see that this person needs to change their diet or work out more or you know, focus on a different kind of thing. I don't want to force that upon them. I meet them where they are and we go from there. And not everybody is, is at that space that's ready for that conversation of, hey, you've got to change this, this, and this, and this. It's different. And I've definitely uh, done this long enough to be able to assist people in a, a loving, gentle, yet firm <laughs> manner to be able to guide them towards really changing and, and creating the life that they've always wanted. And Um, can you tell me about like your biggest success story or like a really great example of a client you've worked with? So I've had clients close, uh, very big deals. I can say I've had clients get the job of their dreams. I've had clients get pregnant after being told that they couldn't have, you know, children. And I don't guarantee pregnancy or anything like that. So just, I'm going to be very clear about that. But a lot of times it can be something like a mindset and focus kind of thing. And that's really where we work. I don't do like any kind of fertility kind of stuff, but um, you know, I've worked with different models and actors and, you know, some, some celebrities here and there. So it's been, it's been a really cool adventure. I'll say. That is so cool. Um, I'm just curious. Could you tell me just a little bit more about like crystals, crystal work? Um, my dad is a, he's a contractor, but he works with like granite marble. And so like my whole house, my whole life has been covered in like beautiful crystals and geodes. And I just feel like, just I don't know, I feel very connected to crystals um, and rocks and things like that. Why is that? Like, what's the kind of the science, the philosophy behind, behind crystals? I love that. Okay. So each crystal carries its own properties and depending on the crystal, they have a different property. So like here I have amethyst and amethyst is a beautiful crystal. It's this beautiful purple crystal. This is great and helps to reduce anxiety. It's also one of my favorite crystals to manifest with. It's a very powerful manifestation crystal. So, you know, amethyst has these properties. So over here I have lapis lazuli. I got this before the conflict, so don't come for me. But um, lapis lazuli is great for helping to open the throat chakra and helping you to speak and express yourself, right? So it's like each crystal has different properties that it carries and different energies that you can associate it with. Now, again, I want to reiterate, you do not need crystals to help you along your spiritual journey. And they're wonderful. They're pretty. And, you know, they do carry properties that can be assisting to you along your spiritual journey, but it's not necessary. Can you get very far in your spiritual journey without crystals? Absolutely. hundred percent. And a lot of people tend to enjoy them and enjoy their beauty, their energy, the properties that they can bestow upon them. And 
it's it's a pretty cool kind of connection there. And also a lot of people now, um, there's been a big shift to people turning back to nature. I hear, I hear a lot about people wanting to homestead and buy land and kind of, you know, farm and do their own thing a little bit, move a little bit further away from cities. I think people are naturally gravitating towards more of a natural life and crystals are pretty natural. They come right from the earth or yeah. as natural as you can get. Yeah. Like, I don't know what kind of like the science is of it, but I always just feel like crystals because they're formed through like years and years. And it's like, they're part of the earth. They're part of erosion and all these processes that are natural wonders. I don't know. There's just something about them that they contain energy. They contain history. They just, they're calming. I just, yeah. Love, love rocks. Big, big rock girl. (laughs) But so I guess if someone was listening right now and they were thinking like, I totally align with everything she's saying. Like, I feel like I'm, I have a similar personality. Like I would love to help heal and help people. How could they get into this work? You know, is it accessible for anyone? Like what's the process look like? Um, my process is probably going to look a lot different than anyone else's process. You know, like I've been working on this for a very, very long time, but I want to encourage people that a lot of times they'll start like a spiritual journey or, or process to grow themselves or to learn something new. And then they get a couple of bumps along the road and they think like, this isn't for me. I want to encourage you to know that like, it's not a linear process. Spiritual growth is not a linear process. There are ups and downs and there are ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs and constantly really like go back to yourself and tap in with yourself and know where your heart and your desires are. And I think that that's probably the best advice I could give. I, I personally don't believe that there's a right or a wrong path, but I know a lot of people associate they have to be on the right path and the right path is the path that you're on, but it's going to be the path that brings you the most joy. Absolutely. And I think that you're kind of a walking example of that. Like you, you actually took the time, and the energy to do so much searching and trying things. And then you landed on something that is, true to who you are and it's kind of I feel like also when you find who you are what makes you feel good and what you're really good at and like how you can serve the world like that's just like the most beautiful combination because then you're just like you're filling yourself up you're filling the world up like that's just the goal um so that's 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 actually called dharma right so Mm -hmm. like when we find our dharma we feel that way so there's like a there's like a word for that in sanskrit so i just wanted to share that with you i actually didn't know that Uh, that is very cool um is there any particular moment or thing that you feel is like you could pinpoint as your most profound moment in your spiritual journey thus far those those moments for me to be completely honest um were probably my darkest moments that have been the most profound moments uh moments that i have been just kind of like really really hitting rock bottom it's been profound because you know what, from the bottom, you can only see the light up. You know, that's like the moment where you're like, this environment that I'm in is not working. This is shit. Like I need to figure something else out. And it's like, it really lights a fire under your ass to get things going and to have those big changes in your life. And it gives you kind of, it really fuels, it fuels that change. It fuels the transformation. Um, and I know that, uh, that people can sometimes tend to want to avoid suffering or want to like not be uncomfortable kind of thing and constantly live in a space of comfort. But the thing is that there, there, there's nothing, no growth happens really in comfort, right? It's in those uncomfortable moments. It's when we hit rock bottom. It's when we're in those moments of suffering that we can see contrast and we know where to head from there. So a lot of my spiritual growth has happened in the space of suffering in the space of hitting rock bottom in the space of being in the darkest places and just being like, okay, don't want to be here. <laughs> so, you know, what's next? Let's figure this out and finding something new. Yeah, I, cu- I couldn't agree more. I, I, I believe in the philosophy of getting out of your comfort zone is like really where you can get into yourself. It's funny, I'm actually wearing a sweatshirt right now that you can't really see. It says seek discomfort. So it's funny you said that it's uh, sort of this mantra of this YouTube group that I love called Yes Theory, but the philosophy of just like always finding ways to push yourself or finding ways where you can make yourself uncomfortable and then actually sit in those moments and reflect and feel them rather than kind of quickly scurrying out of them. Um, Those have always been the moments, at least for me, and it sounds like for yourself too, of like the biggest growth and the biggest uh, kind of changing points of your life. Um, I have a few like rapid fire questions that I like to kind of ask everyone that I have on the, on the, and when I say rapid fire, like take your time answering them. I just mean like, <laughs> okay, just Go questions. Ahead. Um, but so obviously we know what you're doing for a living now, but I like to ask, um, when you were a kid, a lot of times you're asked, you know, to fill out kindergarten, what do you want to be when you grow up? So what was your answer back then? It was probably an artist that I wanted to become an artist. And do you ever, do you ever still think about, I mean, what you're doing is artistic and creative, but you ever think about actually doing, pursuing art also uh, as a 
something to do for a living? Yeah. So I didn't mention this, but yes, I'm a professional artist. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my main focus is really in my coaching business and things like that, but I am a professional artist and I have sold my artwork and things like that. Very cool. What's your medium? Paint, acrylics. Uh, I used to work with resin, not so much anymore. Um, mostly either oil paints or acrylics. And so I believe that, you know, we're not fully grown. You can always change and evolve, you know, so you're doing what you're doing right now, but what do you want to be when you grow up? Probably a farmer. (laughs) Yeah, probably a farmer. I would love to be able to just, um, you know, be, have a space and grow some animals and just be happy and chill. That's great. That's awesome. Um, what do you think, we talked about this a little bit, but what do you, what would you have to say is your purpose in this world? My purpose is to to help people. I love that you you, like knew that you're like, I absolutely that I know my purpose. Like, is that something that you've had to like, have you always known that? Or is that through your work and all your practices to like really know so confidently what your purpose is? It's evolved and my knowing has evolved. And I think that what I associated with has definitely shifted, but from a very young age, I've always known. And that's kind of why I went towards the medicine field, right? Because I, I just thought like, oh, doctors help people. I want to help people, you know, that's kind of the way that I went. And then from there, I kind of was like, but this doesn't really feel right. No, but this doesn't really feel right. I just, I had a central goal that I was moving toward, but I knew that then my desire was to work with people and to help people, but I wasn't sure like where that was going to fit in. And that was kind of the spaghetti throwing against the wall, right? I got to try a bunch of stuff because I know something's going to stick. Something's going to feel right. And I really just continued to pursue my passion, pursue what felt the best for me. Like what, what, what would I do if like, if I wasn't getting paid, what was I doing anyways? And a lot of it was like, I was just texting my friends and coaching them and talking to them about their issues or whatever they were going through anyways. Mm. And it kind of like, just dawned on me like, okay, well, you love doing this. You, this brings you immense joy. You love helping people and seeing them transform their lives and doing good and like, you know, changing things and and growing. Why don't you do this professionally? And then I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Right. Um, and then my last rapid fire question, um, a concept that I like to explore a lot in this podcast is the concept of your inner child. Um, you know, so when you're younger, we encourage our kids to like, kind of what we're talking about, like, explore and play and be creative, but that slowly fades as we get older. Um, so in what ways do you feel your inner child is most alive? Um, that's a really good question. So I feel like my inner child is most alive when I am playing with my own children just seeing how they play encourages me to be to play in a way that um, I don't think that I was really allowed to play as a child I've talked kind of a little bit about how strict my parents were but like there was this whole concept of toys and there were certain toys that we couldn't play with we had to keep them in a box and this might sound very strange right like even like let's say a Barbie doll we would get a Barbie doll but we could play with it while it was in the box and then we had to put the box back on the shelf so we weren't allowed to actually open it and touch her hair and play with her and change her shoes and stuff like that and that's like a very different concept than I think maybe some people have have realized in their lives but with my kids man they can play with everything (laughs) you know like they I just let them go and and, you know if they cut a Barbie's hair I don't get mad about it I'm like okay well now she has a bob cut and that's cool (laughs) the new style like let's figure this out you know like there's always that space and evolution of play and I know that I'm doing a lot of healing through my own upbringing and different things that happened with me through their own joy and through what I'm still seeing and observing and kind of being open to with them so it's like it's been huge and I know you talked a little bit about the inner child um there was a lot of inner child healing work that I had to do to get to this place and I think that Mm -hmm. there's going to continue to be a lot of inner child work that I will do throughout my life I think that we call it shadow work it's the same kind of concept of really focusing on ourselves and focusing on where the root cause of our limiting belief, our limiting beliefs in our lives that are holding us back. I'll share the story. Probably when I was about 10, 12, like a preteen, uh, I really wanted to sing and be in the choir at school. So I had joined the choir and it was like maybe like 40 kids, a decently sized choir. We were on the bleachers practicing our choir. And I remember one day um, a music teacher came in, the choir choir teacher, she came in and she was like, let the come down here, like in front of everybody. And I was like, okay, what's up? You know, like, oh, she's giving me a solo. It's so exciting. And she goes, you have a terrible voice. You shouldn't speak or sing. And she had me sit down next to her. And of course I was mortified. Oh my God, was I mortified? My little heart was just like crushed. And of course this whole group of like 40 children were just laughing at me. And I was just like, I could die right now. 
basically she was like, just shut up, you know? And I had totally internalized that in that moment of fear and panic. And what she had said just stuck with me forever. And I had created a limiting belief that I really had a terrible voice. And I became this person that never really spoke up. And it was only like in my mid twenties when I was doing all of the shadow work and kind of figuring out where my limiting beliefs came from, that I came upon this moment. And I was just like, oh shit. You know, like I had been making choices in my life based on this hurt and wounded 10 year old girl that was embarrassed and really had this moment of pain. And once I was able to kind of see that and process it for what it was and, and like really like understand it, it no longer had that power and hold upon my life. And, um, you know, that's when my career as a speaker and as, you know, a person, as a coach really took off when I was really able to just be like, oh, I can speak. I, I am valid. I, my voice is important you know, and it shifted so much for me in that moment. So doing inner child work, doing shadow work is vital to growth. And if like, if anybody gets one thing off of this podcast, I would highly encourage you to seek help to do some shadow work, um, either start journaling and start working it on it on yourself, join a group, you know, work with your therapist to try to go do something, but inner child work drastically shifted my life. And I would think that it could really, I've seen it have major benefits on a lot of different people's lives. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, our conscious mind forgets a lot of things, but the subconscious doesn't. And the body doesn't too. Like we store pain and trauma in our bodies and whether we remember why it's there or not, the subconscious is like, oh yeah, no, it's there. So like, I I have a bad voice and people shouldn't hear me speak. Your body remembered that. I know that's huge that you were able to discover that. How do you pinpoint, how do you like get in there, you know, and find those moments that maybe from our childhood or whatever that are staying with us? Like, how do you uncover them? Oh yeah. So you start with where you're triggered in your life or where you feel you can't, um, you're held back or where you feel like you're limited. Mm -hmm. So you focus on the now. So for me, it was like speaking, like if I had to speak in front of like a group of five people, I'd like, you know, just shrinking or, if, you know, I, why I couldn't fully express myself, things like that. And then I kind of, you trace it back, you trace it back, you trace it back and you want to get to the root cause. You want to be able to pull that tack out of your butt, not just take the aspirins for the rest of your life. You want to really get to the root cause of that. And, um, and eventually it comes in a lot of these traumas and things that we hold on to that eventually end up creating limiting beliefs and limitations in our life actually happen between those ages, between the ages of, I think it's like, probably like the youngest that you can remember things are probably like around three to maybe like 14. A lot of that happens in that time. And it's, um, you know, it's so important to be able to kind of tap back and just see it. It's not even that you have to do anything more over there. Right. But just be able to see it. And that's why it's so, sometimes it's called, it's called shadow work, right? It's a shadow that's existing there, but we're just shining light upon it. We're just taking a view upon it um, to be able to see what it is. And then it doesn't really hold a lot of that that energy anymore. And, you know, sometimes we had touched upon this as well. Like sometimes we make things out to be bigger in our minds than they are. Mm -hmm. And it's like, once we're able to see the truth of it, that, Hey, I just had a really shitty music teacher, (laughs) you know, that probably should have been working with children. It's like, wow. Okay, cool. And I, I really have compassion and sympathy for her. Like, I'm not sure what was going on with her life at that time, but for someone to be able to say that to a child, there, there had to have been something around. So I have love for her, you know, I'm, right. I'm able to like open that up and to see the situation for what it was and to see that her opinion didn't really have to create something for me. And that that wasn't the truth. I, you know, I'm a great speaker. I, I've spoken all across the world now and given lots of different speeches and touched the lives of hundreds, thousands of people really. So. Yeah. And you've been a wonderful speaker on this podcast. So that lady has clearly no idea what she's talking about, <laughs> but I mean, it's, yeah, it's especially under the, the lens of as a child, you know, you just internalize that. You're like, oh, my, my voice is bad. Like, and then, so it's being able to uncover that as an adult with the adult lens of the broader, okay, that was, you know, in the co- broader context of like, that was wrong. She was clearly going through other issues. And so being able to uncover that moment and then also re-examine your takeaway from it with a different lens, with your adult lens, and then say, okay, I understand. Yeah. I can move on from this. Um, but yeah, that's so important. My parting words would really just be that, you know, keep going, (laughs) just keep going. Cause if something doesn't stick now, something will stick at some point and it's okay. You're exactly where you're meant to be. You don't have to do what the other person is doing, right? Follow your joy, follow your true nature. Things are, things are going to be different things. Things are constantly changing, right? And change is not necessarily a bad thing. So just stick with it. And, uh, if you need help, come find me. (laughs) 
Yeah, you have been awesome. Thank you so much for all of your, I feel like I've learned things. I feel like I've gotten advice. I just feel like this has been a really fantastic conversation. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I also always love to give you the opportunity to plug yourself. I know you mentioned a few things earlier, but like your website or any projects you're working on things, tell people where they can find you. I do have a verified account now. It is um, Latha, L-A-T-H-A underscore J-A-Y. So it's Latha J, my name. You can find me on Instagram as well. It's Latha underscore J underscore. And you can find me on my website as well. It's LathaJ.com. So it's L-A-T-H-A-J-A-Y.com. And uh, I would love to hear from you. So please definitely reach out. I do offer one-on-one coaching. I offer coaching programs. I have courses and eBooks and all of that stuff. And um, like I had mentioned earlier, I have a wonderful membership group that I just started. And some of the things that are going to come up from that is also uh, special rates for different things that I offer. So once you're a member, you, you know, you have special membership rates for, for other eBooks and meditations and, and tarot card readings as well. So it's growing and evolving. And I just really love to work with different people. And I, again, I wanted to make that as accessible as possible. It's $22 a month and um, that covers all of that. So so definitely go check her out.